will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, we're actually going to be releasing two episodes of the podcast. Um, we have one covering here, the Snyder Cut, which will be this episode. And followed after that will be an episode discussing Falcon and Winter Soldier with Leslie. Um, so you guys get two for one this week. Um, but I know... Pat and I both are very excited to be able to talk about the four-hour and two-minute cut of Justice League. Um, I thought it didn't exist, though. No, it didn't exist, and I thought it was the same movie. I thought, actually, it was going to be complete and utter garbage, uh, even more garbage than the Whedon version. It's supposed to be awful. Uh, It's 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 horrendous, right? Um, but let's, uh, take a quick stroll down Rotten Tomatoes with a 76% uh, critic approval and like a 97% audience score. Um, especially with all the crazy stuff they've done with Rotten Tomatoes and making it even more difficult for audience members to submit reviews. You now have to be like an approved audience uh like proof of purchase of a ticket and stuff like that so they can avoid troll ratings um so there's like three different sets of numbers now for rotten tomato scores you have the critic score you have the verified audience score and then you have the general audience score which is where like the trolls are supposed to hide but i haven't seen that number yet either but uh yeah uh it's finally here Streaming currently on HBO Max. I had some minor difficulties with streaming yesterday, but uh, overall, it was a very, very good and uninterrupted experience. Uh, But before we really dive into it, we're going to just go ahead and forewarn you. We're going full spoilers, uh, Easter eggs, whatever thoughts or speculations about 
what this could mean for DC moving forward. Um, vindication for Zack Snyder, uh, a little vindication for Ray Fisher. Um, so just be prepared. If you have not watched it, uh, we definitely recommend you go out, watch it. Uh, if you need to break it up, you can break it up, but then come back and listen to this episode. If you really want to hear two nerds geek out about it. Um, so with that said, general, generally, Pat, how was your experience with streaming it and watching it? Uh, I personally had zero issues. Okay. I know a lot of people are having some crashing issues yesterday, just from, I guess, the sheer amount of people that were tuning in. Uh, yeah, that's probably it. And I'm wondering, since uh, your profile on my HBO Max, maybe we conflicted a little bit, because I only had two problems. And one was at the very beginning, and I and it wasn't necessarily HBO Max. My Fire Stick restarted for some reason. No idea why. Um, and then the second time at about the two and a half hour mark, it was buffering and it just was never loading back. So I had to, uh, disconnect my webcasting and recast it. And then it was fine the rest of the way through. So I know some other people have been having certain issues with it. Uh, but personally I didn't have too much, um, and obviously you didn't have any. So but I do think it's it was probably sheer amount of number of people streaming. I know when Shudder initially did the first of the like last drive in stuff with Joe Bob Briggs that uh, they ended up crashing the Shudder sh- uh, servers for the sheer amount of people that were tuning into it. So um Thankfully, yeah, I I don't I haven't heard like too many complaints from people saying that their stuff uh, was, you know, kind of cut down. Um, So hopefully that doesn't continue to persist to be an issue. Um, And I know I definitely plan on rewatching it. God knows how many more times. But if it comes out on physical, I'm definitely buying it because I think that that will be the best way to actually watch it. when it comes to like 4k and, and streaming over internet. Uh, I know, I know snob. I'm getting the look from you. <laughs> the, uh, the, you're being a snob about streaming quality. Well, I, you know me, <laughs> like I buy like three TVs in three years to get the next kind of newest, highest end. Well, not high end. Cause I can't spend like $2,000 on a TV, but I, I, I'm very much a quality snob. Um, and I always kind of find that when it's, on physical media, there's less issues, uh, mainly not even necessarily with the picture, but with if something's widescreen format or like this, where it's four by three, uh, the black bars on the side have weird, sometimes pixelations when it's differing in contrast on something that's 4k with like HDR and Dolby vision. Uh, and so that's a little distracting for me when I'm watching something, uh, a little bit, but, uh, that actually wasn't really much of an issue with the Snyder cut, uh, on HBO. So there really wasn't too much on quality that I had an issue with. It's just when I'm watching it, I want an uninterrupted experience. So if like internet goes down in the middle of it, then it's like, oh shit, I'm screwed. But regardless to say, uh, I think this was a very smart move for Warner brothers. Um, I think also the popularity of it uh, is very high right now. Uh, it's also something that's kind of needed uh, because of the current, you know, 
stuff going on out in the world with COVID. And it, it, it as much as people want to criticize Zack Snyder for being kind of a dark storyteller, there were really good moments of like hope and uplifting message kind of to the movie. Um, now, that's not to say it doesn't set things for a darker tone for what might be a sequel or what might not be a sequel. But I know I was definitely amped after the movie. I was excited and kind of makes me excited a little bit for the future of DC movies if um, they're smart about it. So um, that's kind of our uh, preamble. I don't have any other things outside of now before we dive into the movie to talk about anything you I will say when you were talking about the aspect ratio, that's mainly the only thing I've seen online is people goofing on that. Like not not really like hating on it, but it's just people. My my brother. Edgy. Yeah, my brother was like, oh, it's four by three. And I'm like, yeah, that's how he shot it. It was like intended for an IMAX uh, screen, um, which he does it in a different format from Nolan, who does it in the like reverse for I don't know what exactly what aspect it ratio he shoots it in but it's in a different form where it like fills your whole screen uh same with like how they shot aquaman but uh after a while like i didn't even really notice it and with like a 65 inch tv you're still getting a nice big picture so uh if you were actually seeing it in the theater they would have been using kind of the masking uh, of the side curtains or or bars to kind of cut that off so you're only seeing the picture but yeah i people are just going to have to deal with that. Um, it's again, it doesn't really detract from the movie. So, um, with that said, let's go ahead and just dive into it. Um, so it is broken up into six, technically seven parts. Um, and if you're kind of overwhelmed with that four hour runtime, that really gives you the ability to like, be like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead, take a break or, Oh, this is a perfect moment to pause. I got to go run to the bathroom and, and, you know, pee like a freaking three gallons of the water you've been drinking or <laughs> whatever. Uh, and I think, <coughs> excuse me, I thought that that was going to be a, a bit of a turnoff for me for the film that, that it would take these moments where it would go to black and then give you a part and title. But actually, it felt like a nice like breakup uh, of giving you a little bit moment to breathe and and give you moment to reorient yourself. Um, what do you think of that format? I thought it was really nice, especially when you're doing something that's four hours long. Right. Like no one, no normal person is going to sit there for four hours and be like, OK, I'm going to just roll straight through. <laughs> like everyone's going to at least take at least a break in yeah. there just to kind of well, lessen and, it. <laughs> and the contrast that like uh, gone with the wind, like once it hits its halfway mark, it has an intermission point so people can get, get up, move around. Uh, so yeah, I think it definitely is, is uh, something needed for, for something like this. Like now, if it didn't have that, would I have sat through the four hours? Yeah, I would have paused here and there, but yeah, I definitely agree. It was probably a good way to do it. And, and it, it actually, for the parts and how they're broken up, it, I think it concisely gives you an idea of what's going to be contained within that segment of the film. And I think that that was a very smart uh, way about it. Um, so this really kind of opens up 
right at the end of Batman v Superman. You know, it's showing kind of the final fight sequence with Doomsday uh, and it, uh, you know, has his kind of Superman's final scream being that bell uh, to the universe that, you know, he is he is gone. Uh, And we see the mother boxes all kind of reacting um, to this uh, event. And that actually, I think, adds a lot of good uh, moments to kind of set up the events. Like it felt from the Whedon version that it was just like, oh, they're already there. Like with that opening scene in Batman and the criminal and the, and the parademon, like it was like, oh, it's already all happening and we have no setup, nothing, no exposition. It's just we're there. So I really liked that this beginning sequence, which is part uh, part of part one. Don't count on it, Batman, uh, where we're seeing kind of the prior events, where everything's at. And then Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne going on his journey to find, you know, Aquaman, Flash and all them. And I think that that was what it needed pacing wise uh, to kind of start off with. Like we just we go straight to him trying to find Aquaman and that whole conversation. And for people trying to say, oh, no, it's it was going to be the same movie. There's these scenes are going to be pretty much identical. Like it's a completely different conversation. It doesn't refer to anything with like Lex Luthor and his knowledge of the mother boxes. Uh, it, It is entirely, entirely different. It, it also was shot more artsy, yeah. I guess is how I would put it. Um, when Aquaman's like going back in and into the water yeah. and like the, the ladies are singing, it's like, it kind of adds like a little bit more of a, uh, it makes it feel like I said, artsy. There's well, it no adds, other. I think some more atmosphere. That too. Um, and like one thing, cause that scene is not vastly different in the sense of like the shots, uh, from the Whedon version, but like I remember specifically when he's like backing into the water and talking to Batman, um, it looked distinctively green screen uh, in the Whedon version. This it didn't. It looked like they were actually there shooting that scene. So it kind of lends me to think that that was more of a reshoot uh, thing in the in the theatrical version versus what they had actually shot because they had to rework some dialogue and they didn't have time to go to that location and shoot that that uh, shot again. And the in the score, especially like mm-hmm. throughout, was significantly different. It gave so much different tone to scenes that did you know had they were read differently Mm -hmm. in the theatrical versus versus this uh cut of the film and that added so much different gravitas and Mm -hmm. and weight to certain scenes that i was like oh wow you know this this puts that scene in a whole new light for me given just the change in that score um so you know, we're, we're not going to catch everything, obviously, but uh, basically, you know, we get the um, Steppenwolf arriving on uh, the mascara and that again, as much as it might seem a little similar to the outside viewpoint of um, the audience, first off, Steppenwolf looks far better. And I didn't hate how he looked in the Whedon version. Like, I, I know a lot of people complained about the CGI and everything, but I thought he looked more monstrous in this. 
uh, more alien. And uh, I liked how his armor was like reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just even giving the Amazons more um, honor and like and more screen time of showing their warrior spirit. Like it was great. That entire whole fight sequence in that dome was fantastic. And although the scene for the most part plays out the same again, some of those action beats are different. The score is different. Um, there's again, more weight to it. Like the fact that the thing falls off into the ocean and then, um, Hippolyta is thinking like, okay, we, we won, we've trapped them. And then bam, they come up out of the water and it's like, oh shit, it's still on. Mm -hmm. Um, anything else you got, got to offer on that? On that one? I'm going to do the. Oh, shit, you got me doing the Chris Farley. <laughs> I, I tried awesome. to corner. I tried to awesome. corner you on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like the a lot of people like to criticize Zack Snyder as being all style and no substance. But the one thing I have found with every Snyder film that I've watched, and I mean, he won me over back with Dawn of the Dead. You know, so like immediately I I became like a Zack Snyder fanboy after his first film. Every movie he's made, there always ends up being an extended cut Mm -hmm. because he likes to do things in a particular way that studios don't like. And studios like for this instance, this is why this all happened. They didn't want a four hour movie. And they didn't think audience members would sit through a four hour movie. And so and they wanted it to be simplistic. They wanted it to match the Marvel movies. They wanted a quick cash grab like Avengers like without a cookie cutter. Yeah, they, they wanted to get all the money without doing the legwork. And if there's anything that this cut of the film uh, shows is that he had again going back to like even Batman v Superman, the theatrical version of that was panned because there were scenes that didn't make sense, characterization that didn't make sense, plot points uh, or plot holes that were out there that just didn't, no one understood. And then you come out with the three-hour cut of the film and everyone goes, oh, this is a much better film. And go the sucker punch. Again, like he has an extended cut of that. It's a far better movie. It's R-rated. It's, it, it, he finally gets to tell his stories. Watchmen. Um, he gets to tell his stories at the pace he wants to tell it at. So you can, I, I think a valid criticism of any theatrical cut of his is that, yeah, it is all style, no substance because that's what the studio wants. They want those flashy moments, but they don't care about the character dynamics. They don't care about the organic growth. They don't care about the pacing. Um, but when you get to those extended versions of each of his films, they are far better than anything else we have seen. And I know the major complaint that like a lot of people had with the Whedon version of the Snyder cut was that you had all of these characters introduced, but none of them were given fleshed out backstories. None of them were like, you just didn't understand certain motivations. Why cyborg is more of a shut in now after, after it, uh, even, uh, inconsistencies. Like they said that, uh, you know, cyborg was only created after Superman died. Even though when you're watching Batman v Superman, that stuff is already pre-recorded when cyborgs created. And this cut of the movie has all of the, that plot holes fixed or that the, uh, inconsistencies addressed. Mm-hmm. 
another thing that is ref it's semi referenced in the theatrical cut is when uh Steppenwolf is talking about the old gods mm-hmm. and you never really got anything else to that. So clearly like he knew of them, he knew that like what they were capable of and then never getting to see that in the theatrical cut kind of left you like empty. And that's uh, that's perfect because that's we're going to move on to part two, the age of heroes. And that's what that's in reference to now. Uh, yeah, they 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 didn't touch on it as much uh, in the theatrical version like this, that that battle sequence in the past is still pretty much the same. But they didn't really, you know, say this is Zeus and like this is Ares and, um, you know, the lanterns and, and the the age of the humans and, and the Atlanteans like they kind of rush through it in the theatrical cut. Whereas when uh, Diana is relaying this to Bruce, um, first off, like, you know, they gave more gravitas to the whole arrow being sent and Diana finding that tomb and seeing that ancient history. Because when you look at the, the theatrical version, it's like, she just knows it. So like, why wouldn't she have talked with Bruce about it at the end of Batman V Superman or something like that, you know? And instead she's discovering of that lore and that legend now. And she's telling Bruce that story as she has found it. Also, this is the best thing about this version is we see dark side. Of course, this is before he's really dark side. And, but we get to see him, you know, show up because like, this was the whole point of kind of Zach's initial uh, pitch of a two part justice league movie. And again, Warner brothers being a little bit stupid because uh, in fact, Avengers was doing was going to do this too, where they were doing Infinity War Part One and Infinity War Part Two, and it was going to be Justice League Part One and Justice League Part Two, where Steppenwolf would be the main villain of Justice League, and then Darkseid would be really there like Thanos and Avengers. But then when Warner Brothers was like, "No, it's going to be one movie," like that's when then they decided, okay, well, it's going to be Avengers Infinity War, which will be kind of its own entry, and then Avengers Endgame, which will cap it off, but it will still be two kind of separate movies. Um, Which I just... Although it worked for Marvel, so I'm not complaining about what Marvel did, but I don't understand why DC... Not necessarily DC, why Warner Brothers was so, like, insistent that it needed to be under two hours, that it needed to be bright and flashy but no characterization when they knew that they're already trying to play catch up they've only been able to introduce superman and batman and a little bit of wonder woman and they were introducing three other heroes that okay you and i know those backstories and and this is something that i do like to say as a differentiation between marvel and dc in their films dc doesn't want to hold your hand like they want they're they're making these movies specifically for the comic book nerds. Um whereas Marvel's like okay, we're gonna kill Uncle Ben seven times. We're going to kill Uncle Ben seven times. We're uh going to eventually have Peter Parker played by a baby and then his ma uh his Aunt May is going to be like a 16-year-old babysitter. Um and you're going to just get hammered over and over again rehashed origin stories. And I do think like Feige has done the right thing going, okay, we're not really doing origin stories anymore. And Leslie and I have talked about this with one division. Like that's 
where they can do these uh, Disney Plus shows. Like, if they want to do origin stories for newer characters, like they're doing with Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk and Moon Knight, like, that's the best way to do that, because people that are going to go see the movies are going to want to see those established heroes. Like, they don't really care for origin stories. That's why in Batman v Superman, they don't really rehash Bruce's origin. They just, they show it, and then, bam, you're Batman. Like, five seconds. They don't even spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, and cause they're just going, we are making this for those diehard fans. We don't want to hold people's hands. We don't want to have to tell them who dark side is. We don't even really want to tell them who Steppenwolf is or even decide or, or, um, granny goodness. Like they, they just want you to already kind of know those established characters beforehand. And I think that that's a good differentiation between, between the two. I want Marvel to keep doing what Marvel's doing. And I want DC to do what Zack intended. Um, even though we've had a few successes outside of after Justice League, like Aquaman and, and Shazam, we got Wonder Woman 84, you know. and <laughs> Which is a little disheartening yeah. after having two very solid movies to have that kind of fall off. And, uh, very very quickly and and i think that they would find that um because i know the one big argument and we'll make this uh, a case for this at the at the end once we've discussed the other parts um you know the one big thing is people warner brothers even said this before they even acknowledged or finally said yes the snyder cut is real they're like it would have been it would be harder for them to reconcile the later movies like Aquaman um, and Shazam with the events of what Snyder originally intended with Justice League. I will contest that that's not the case. Wonder Woman 84 is more of a movie that does not fit into their established chronology because of everything that they priorly established. So I would be fine saying Wonder Woman 84 is a one-off offshoot multiverse story um because we know obviously we don't clark didn't know about it bruce doesn't know about it and unless there was a big memory wipe of 1984 i mean depending on i really wouldn't work but you could semi have it be a result of flashpoint yeah exactly and and i think flashpoint if they utilize it correctly can fix whatever inconsistencies they need to fix. The only problem with that would be flash wouldn't be going back that far just based on age. Uh, but cause yes, but also at the same time, um, it's going to have a ripple ripple effect regardless. Time. Um, because it's, it, 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 that's just how flashpoint really is. And, and I think a lot of people just wouldn't care enough. People disliked wonder woman 84, uh, that they'd be like, fine, if it's just an offshoot one shot movie and something that the Snyder Cut does is it brings up the concept of the multiverse uh, and alternate timelines. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it again, this like idea of, well, you can't you can't make a sequel to Justice League because it's going to be inconsistent and incongruent with the other films. Well, Shazam is does whatever Shazam does. It's almost isolated from the rest of the other movies. Aquaman, all they do is just one-off mention Steppenwolf. And technically with the events of Justice League 1, 
it still fits. And uh, I guess we're kind of making the case for how they can do it now. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Wonder Woman 84 is something that can be thrown off as an offshoot rather than something like Justice League not being able to get an adequate sequel to. Um, but I think that also going back to kind of the Age of Heroes, we got to see more of the Green Lantern in action too. Like it was a lot quicker in the Whedon cut, but this one we got to see some constructs. We got to see him take some action and we even got to see like dark side kind of like watching the ring. I almost for a second. I was like, is he actually going to grab it? Like, <laughs> no. I, I was like, I th- for, for a split second, they had me. Yeah, where I was like, it was Geez. it was very convincing. And and one thing that didn't and again, this kind of is just like, OK, there are some and we're giving some leniencies to it because we understand a lot of this was also paid out of Zach's own pocket. Some wonky CGI um, because they have David Thewlis kind of reprise his role as Ares from Wonder Woman. But it's very obvious CGI. It's not fantastic but at the same time he puts once he puts the helmet on it's like it's you just don't even you, worry you about can it. overlook yeah it. a lot of a lot of the like and i've seen a lot of people talking about it too they're like yeah that's some of that cgi but we got this uh, mm. and that this is a lot of justice to characters um this also kind of then starts going into uh i Part part three, a little bit, I think, is like it switches a little bit in part two and part three where we start seeing Barry um, and we get Barry's very awkward uh, job interview. <laughs> and uh, but we get to see a little bit of Iris West, um, even though she's not really named. We all know that uh, I, I can't remember her name. I think it's like Kiersey Clemens, uh, who is reprising her role for the Flash movie. Um you know, we kind of get to see them have a little bit of a passing romance moment and uh, the whole, I think, the best look at Barry's power. Um, the way that the glass kind of turns liquid when he starts using the speed force and the his shoes Shoot, bur- yeah. bursting and everything and the, the way the pavement ripples when he's trying to stop. Uh, also very funny for him to take the hot dog <laughs> while he's just kind of awkwardly, creepily staring at her. Uh, and then kind of running back into the, uh, pet shop and giving the dogs the hot dog. And, and it was one of those where it was, it was a serious scene with a little bit of comedy. Like it, they didn't try to go he didn't try to go out of his way to make it overly humorous. So, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's divert um, because this is something you and I did talk about a little bit there. So a lot of people complained about like in Batman v Superman and stuff uh, and even in Man of Steel, like there weren't those Marvel humor moments. But then when, you know, we got the Whedon version of Justice League, it one, it didn't feel right for Batman to be so jokey after being kind of really the dark night in Batman v Superman. And there were these really awkward comedy moments. Like some of them were fine, like Aquaman, Aquaman sitting on the lasso and, and, you know, speaking truth, even though he's supposed to be kind of this loner guy. But it, it just it didn't feel right. But when you watch the Snyder Cut, the comedy is organic. It, it like you said, right. it's low key. 
uh, it's in serious moments, but it's it's delivered well in lines or just in the sequences of the dialogue or not dialogue, but of the action. And uh, there were plenty of times where I was actually just like laughing. Like I, I did kind of like the line of um, later on in the film when they're when they're close to bringing back Superman and Barry's like, do you think she's into younger guys? And, he, and Vic's like, she's 5,000 years old. Every guy's a younger guy. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's good. Like that was an organic part of the conversation. And, um, it, it just, I, I, I really liked that, uh, aspect to the film. In one of the scenes particular from the theatrical version was the one where like Barry accidentally like lands on Wonder yeah. Woman and then quickly gets up. It didn't feel it didn't feel as natural as any of the flash comedy in this one. Right. Like where he runs into Aquaman and then <laughs> they both end up they both end up wiping out and then he's like and he just points out point, oh, yeah. oh I was cracking up at that. And like it felt much more organic that way. Right. And and that's that's a very um interesting scene that you pointed out because I, I know a lot of people and I do dislike Ray for, for this. Cause I think Ray has uh, ruined his chances for reprising his role as cyborg by going so ham hard at Joss Whedon. I think his initial accusations and stuff like that were fine. Allow Warner brothers to investigate them. Um, but he's gone so hard on them and so hard on Walter Hamada, who I think Walter Hamada is actually trying to earn a lot of goodwill. And Walter, I think, came into Warner Brothers in the midst of Justice League being shot because there was the whole issues with the prior president that were Me Too issues. And uh, he was kind of then brought in because his real first project he o actually oversaw was Aquaman. And uh, and it seemed like there was allowing James Wan to do what he wanted to do with Aquaman and less studio uh, interference. And I think that same went a little too far with Wonder Woman 84, where there needed to be a little bit more studio interjection um, and being like, are we sure this really works or not? Uh, so I think he's burned those bridges because he said he's not going to work unless Walter gets fired. And back when DC fandom was going on last year. Like Walter was talking about, they're going to embrace the idea of the multiverse where they will do these in continuity movies and they'll do these out of continuity movies, much like how they do their animated stuff where they'll do like two in and one out in a year. And cause he's kind of understood that, uh, people can separate different portrayals of the same character, like Deathstroke on arrow is the diff is a different death stroke than what we got in Snyder cut, you know, that they are two separate entities. Uh, go, you got something. Oh no, it's just thinking about that scene. Oh, okay. Um, gonna do the Chris Farley <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, cause like he, you know, didn't throw out the possibility of them maybe doing a Superman red sun, um, live action film, uh, and like maybe allowing the television shows to actually like have, obviously we got Superman and Lois right now going on CW. I haven't watched it yet, but I've been hearing good things about it. Um, but that we might, you know, be able to then get Batman back on TV and still have a live action Batman. 
Also, the Robert Pattinson Batman movie will be its kind of own thing. The uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie is its own reality and its own world. And so it, and it allows, I think, like viewers to be like, well, I like this particular portrayal and I don't like this portrayal. So I'll stick to this and maybe I'll revisit that other stuff later on. So I personally and you can go back and listen to that DC fandom episode I did. I really liked what he had to say in that multiverse panel. Um, and especially with what, and little spoiler for Crisis on Infinite Earths, if you haven't watched it yet, the fact that the TV universe and the movie universe actually mixed uh, with having Ezra Miller's Barry show up, uh, which was like a low-key, like totally not planned at the time, but then they tried it and they were able to do everything to get it done quickly was like fantastic. You know, it's like, okay, we do now have this established greater multiverse and uh, we can have these characters come in and out. And I think Flashpoint's really going to embrace that uh, with the fact that we'll have Michael Keaton's Batman, uh, I believe Affleck's Batman. And what would be even kind of cooler is get bail. You know, um, I, at this point, I think it would be pretty, uh, pretty difficult to do possibly you'd, you'd be better off getting michael keaton <laughs> well well no they I've, i'm pretty sure keaton's on for mm-hmm. it um and i'm fairly certain affleck's back uh for for, for maybe just this project but because uh, i know it's on tr- uh, on twitter right now and I'm, I'm hoping it's trending restore the snyderverse um it's been trending for like the past at least 24 hours right so i think like again this is why I had a complaint um, about this YouTuber who was like, be prepared for the, the fans to demand more. And it's like, but the fans were what got this done. And I mean, yes, like of every fan group or, or, or political group or any type of club, there are going to be those extremists that are going to be violent or or incendiary and stuff like that but that's not representative of the greater group because if if all of the snyder cut fans when the snyder cut wasn't real were horrible people that were constantly like doxing or or calling for acts of violence against uh studio execs and stuff like that snyder cut would never been released and snyder wouldn't have been so um grateful to the people that got the Snyder cut uh, released the Snyder cut um, hashtag going on Twitter and, and doing all these things and donating uh, funds to uh, suicide prevention for, because of his daughter. And that again, this is jumping a little bit ahead, but just the four autumn at the end was fantastic. Like mm-hmm. that, that was amazing um, for his daughter. So uh, yeah, it, it's just kind of this, this greater thing of like, I, even though they say the movie ended in a cliffhanger, like it still feels like you can still do a sequel to this. And I really hope Warner brothers embraces uh, Snyder for this. And, and well, I know he said he's technically done, but my guess is with how well this has been perceived. Yes. I think that there's a possibility. They Warner brothers would be stupid to not, pay him <laughs> to not pay him <laughs> to not bring him back and to not let him finish the story especially after how 
like like we were saying before, how big of a flop Wonder Woman yeah. 1984 was. Yeah. Like, to have this come out and basically, like, blow it out of the water, like, why not? Yeah, I, enough people were talking so negatively about Wonder Woman 84, and people who, I mean, I was personally excited for it. Like, I watched the trailers and was like, okay, I'm... I I'm, wanted it to be good. Yeah, I'm, I... And I, I'm, I'll say this: I don't hate it, it just but does, it's just it's not a good. It's it not a good a story. Point. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no villain. There's no context. There's yeah, no. It, there's, there's just nothing to it, and it, and ultimately, it, it undoes itself. Mm. You know, by the end of the film. So, uh, and it, and it didn't feel like Diana. Mm. You know, um, Diana feels more like Wonder Woman in the Snyder cut and the original Wonder Woman movie that like it just her characterization is far better in what's been done with just these movies here Mm -hmm. outside of Wonder Woman 84. And so personally, and I think part of the problem was, and I understand why they were doing a period piece. They probably should have set that second Wonder Woman movie after Justice League, you know, and, and th- they would have had more range to do it. They could have done the entire same story with without having as much of the issue. Mm. Um, in fact, it would have been more impact of having kind of Steve back and then losing Steve again uh, and, and her kind of still finding her her place in the world rather than do what they did in 84. But uh, we're we're kind of digressing here. So let's go ahead and move on to. um we're probably jumping a little bit of ahead, but basically part four change machine. Um, one thing we really haven't talked about. So let's uh, actually, no, it is part three, beloved mother, beloved son. This is the thing that I, I did want to start talking about uh, just now. Vic, Vic's origin. So much better in this. Um, his again, characterization's key to this movie. Character development is key to this movie. The pacing of it, it's not slow. It, it, is, it is methodical. Every action in every subsequent scene is organically going from A to B to C to D. And I liked seeing kind of, again, Vic's relationship with his father. It's far more strained in this than it was in the Whedon version. Um... I liked kind of seeing the inside of what, what Vic is actually seeing when he's in the internet, the, the sequence with the money, uh, uh, for the, the waitress. Um, and I think it's also at this time and apologies if, if it's not, we also get Martha visiting Lois and them kind of discussing about the losing of the farm. Uh, and that Lois needs to get back out into the world, which is very important when it comes to like the next part. Um, but this is our first reveal of our big reveal. <laughs> and that is that it's not really Martha. And I was telling you before we started recording, when I saw the red eyes part of the trailer, mm-hmm. I was assuming it was the anti-life uh, equation. We've we've skipped some parts, so yeah, I know we haven't followed everything organically. We'll jump around. Uh, well, not even just that. <laughs> it's just like there are some things that aren't necessarily even needing to touch base on, like Aquaman, uh, you know, going and having his conversation with Volko uh, of Willem Dafoe, and I thought that that was great. Well, that and he was cast for the original one, but that never showed up. So I was like, where's right. that? Where's that scene? Right, and um, <laughs> and I mean, like, so. 
you know, when people want to say, well, you can't directly do a sequel to this and because Volko looks different in Aquaman than he does in, in Justice League, well, it's just people will overlook that. Amber Heard's accent is horrible in this. I mean, it was horrible in the original Justice League and she went with a regular accent in, in Aquaman. So like, and they, you know, colored her hair a darker red and they gave her a greener suit. Like, so I, I and people didn't go up in arms about those changes. So I think people are going to be like, okay, it's fine. They changed up their style. Okay. Who cares? Uh, but you know, and then kind of Steppenwolf's, uh, going and getting the, the second box, um, also his conversations with Desaad, um, which we get better again, characterization is key in this film. Steppenwolf is, you understand his motivations far more than cause in Whedon cut it's, Oh, he lost the battle against the age of heroes. So dark side put him in the exile. And for some reason, because the mother boxes were waking up, he decided to come back to earth to create the unity. But this is, we don't know exactly how he failed Steppenwolf or uh, Darkseid. And we just see his desperation, how much he wants to return, how much he believes in Darkseid. And we don't have this weird mother, mother. Like every single yeah. scene. And um, I, someone did um, bring this up and they were a little unsure because I... I kind of agree with them in a, in a little bit because the scene didn't quite make sense to me until later on um, is kind of the duplicate scene when he reaches into the mother box and he digs his hand in the ground, does the axe thing, and then it kind of does that red stuff. But then he sees the anti-life Omega symbol. Um, the person was like, well, how did not how did Darkseid not see that? Well, the difference is, is because he is directly interacting with the mother box. The mother box is showing him that the anti-life equation is on earth. And when dark side was attacking earth, he wasn't interacting with the boxes. The unity was just starting mm -hmm. and he was just going straight into battle. Um, but jumping back to kind of Vic, it, you know, we, we get that strained relationship. Uh, we, we, Silas Stone has more to do in this movie and we, you know, it's just, it's so much better. I, I would go on to say that Cyborg is basically the driving force of this movie, which was the original intent and seeing how well that was written, everything from like car crash to the scene at the ATM after yeah. he's like back up and going like Every little bit of that, the the tape recorder yes. when he, when his father's got like basically telling him what he's gonna be capable of, yeah, like it it just fits so well. The fact that he can basically destroy the world uh, with the nukes, like he has complete control over the entire world's nuclear arsenal, and the, his greatest power, much like Superman, is just kind of not to use it, uh, the the show that restraint and. It, it again, like this is why I'm a little upset that kind of Ray has burned his bridges down because he he was far better in this. Like they they stripped him in the Whedon version, and I mean they just made him there. Like he just was there, and he mm -hmm. just didn't have anything to offer. Um, well, even even his interaction with the uh, the mother box to mm -hmm. bring Superman back was like completely different. Well. It, it, We'll get there because I, 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 
I love what they did with that. And this is the one thing I want to say, too. And I think you could go back because I know we reviewed it after they released the Snyder Cut trailer. Uh, we went ahead and we reviewed the old version of Justice League. And we could tell we kind of could pick out where some of the reshoots were, what was Joss Whedon's and what was Zach's. What I like is what is pretty much shot for shot, maybe a little bit change in dialogue. Um, that is the same in both cuts were the parts that I did like in the, in the original justice league movie. So that, that tells me I was picking up on the Zach scenes and what didn't, cause the opening of justice league in of itself never felt right with me. Not so much the Superman doing the interview, but the, the whole opening with Batman and the crook and the parademon just never set right with me. It just, it didn't feel right. It felt rushed. Yeah, it felt rushed. It didn't feel organic. Like I said, it was already having the invasion in progress and we're just dumped into it and expecting to be like, oh yeah, we totally understand everything that's going on. Yeah, it, and you can't, you can't rush into the, the bad guys when you haven't given the heroes exactly. their introduction. Exactly. Um, so... They, you know, do kind of have their first fight with uh, with Steppenwolf and Steppenwolf, uh, you know, because he's trying to find the the last mother box. Um, you know, we get some similar scenes, but again, it's completely different. Like you said, Barry doesn't fall on fall on Diana and have that awkward moment. Um, they uh, Batman using the gauntlets that uh, Alfred's power up, even Alfred's role in this is far more expanded and mm. far more important than what it was in the Whedon version. So it's like justice for almost every actor in this film. Um, it, it, it just, it does such a good job. And I know we're flagellating it with praise, but. Well, and I think the only one that had a reduced role is, is Superman. Yeah. And I, and I don't even think that that was not intentional because I think it worked. Right. Cause I think it was the whole point was to have a team try to come together without him being the unifying force. That's why it's so difficult for Bruce to get everybody kind of together at first. And Bruce, like this was my favorite bit because this wasn't even in there. Alfred's asking him why he's doing this. Like it logically doesn't make sense. And he says it's faith. And it's like, that's what Superman's sacrifice at the end of Batman v Superman did to change this jaded crime fighter who has lost a partner, has the Joker to deal with. And like his, you know, gritty, um, I don't care about anyone else except my version of justice. And now he's got that beacon of hope that Superman is, you know, supposed to, uh, be for everyone and so pretty much the sequences with like what plays there that fight first fight with steppenwolf for the most part plays out the same um but then of course it it leads again to the uh the resurrection of superman they know that they're going to need to have superman they deduct that uh the mother box is only awoke because of his death what this is a minor thing uh and it just came to me one thing I didn't like about the Whedon version was they were passing off the the scenes where they were supposedly in the Batcave with the, the big troop carrier, that that was the Batcave. That's how the Whedon version kind of portrays it. 
What I like about this is it shows it's a completely separate building. And and I liked that. It's a small thing to really like, but because it, it was just like it was visually inconsistent, inconsistent with what we were shown in Batman v Superman. So it didn't I didn't like it when they're like, oh, this is the Batcave. Let's run around and nothing looks the same. So I like that that's established. Um, but jumping to the resurrection and we're in part four of the change machine. Actually, we're probably at about part five. Uh, All the King's horses. Um is really the resurrection of Superman. And what I really like about this is when Vic is um, interacting with the Kryptonian ship, the ship is afraid of the mother box. Mm-hmm. It's also advising them not to bring back Superman. And everyone's convinced. And I also like this because they're in, in the Whedon version, there's the fight between Diana and Bruce. Like, Diana doesn't want Bruce to bring him back and Bruce is too desperate to bring back Superman. And then no one else really agrees this. They're a unified front. They're all agreeing that this is the best course of action. And Barry's, you know, getting ready to kind of create the charge. And as it's getting to the one in the countdown, the ship shows him the version of the future that could is, is going to happen by them doing this. And I love it. You get great shots. You get the, the broken hall of justice. You get the lowest, uh, burnt skeletal corpse, dark side, uh, taking advantage of that to bring him to his side of the team, the death of Diana, the death of Arthur, um, just kind of the realization of the nightmare scene in and Batman V Superman. And you have actually Vic say, no and Barry hearing go and it gives this whole resurrection scene an entirely different context and it and it actually because even the fight plays out almost the same in them trying to subdue him but again a little bit differently there's no do you bleed uh horrible line um Lois because of Martian Manhunter's involvement is there mm-hmm. which is what literally saves Batman's life. Um, But even though we get kind of Superman back, there's still something missing. And you can see that kind of in the final fight with Steppenwolf, because he's going ham vicious on Steppenwolf. So he's still not all there by the end of this movie. And it's also reflective in the final shot of him opening up and he's still wearing the black suit, Mm -hmm. Um, which looked fantastic. So good. <laughs> okay, Chris Farley. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is. It was one of the best things. And again, like the lowest kind of bringing him back, you know, uh, taking him or well, actually he takes them back to Smallville, but she's kind of going, this is your mother's house. And she loved it here. And then him going, I liked it here too. Like, and then, finally kind of really coming to his senses and going, okay, they need my help. Um, so at this point we're, we're pretty much at part six, uh, which is just kind of the final fight. Obviously Steppenwolf has revealed to dark side that the anti-life equation is on earth, uh, which is, you know, again, setting up for that second movie, which I hope, I hope we get, um, because it, it, it just, it gives him the motivation to still come to earth. Uh, and, and for those events that Vic saw to come to fruition, um, the whole entire 
Soviet Union era town so much better that I did never like the Russian family stuff and the Whedon stuff, and I'm like that that's gone completely. They also explained that he was using the radiation yes. to build the base, right. which made sense. Right, and uh, it, it just, oh, so much of this worked so much better. I, I like that there was no red sky. It looked so much better just being nighttime and, and in the dark. Um, Batman going freaking vicious on the parademons with the rifles and the cannons. Barry working his charge up for... for uh, Vic and uh, the fight, just all of that's great. You know, it just all really plays out so well. And and Superman showing up um, and also for the fight. But then the unity actually happens. And, uh, you know, we've we got to see the side dark side, granny goodness, uh, all in that kind of flash of the boom tube. And then Barry using his powers to actually turn back time and seeing all that kind of come back as he's running towards the unity was just fantastic. And then Vic's, you know, inner workings with separating the mother boxes uh, and the savage beheading of Steppenwolf by Wonder Woman. And now, of course, like this entire time as I'm watching the movie and especially when you get to the epilogue, I'm like, Okay, where's this? Where's this future scene? Where's this? You know, new nightmare scene. I'm like, where are they going to put this in? Is that what it's going to end on? Um, and because you know this, and again, this is where I say it, it's almost got the same ending scenes mm-hmm. from the Whedon version, and that's why I don't think it's going to be super complicated because we don't know when Lois would die. We don't know when Superman will turn dark. We don't know exactly. It could be immediately within five minutes of the end of this movie, or it could be two, three years after the end of this movie. Um, so we don't know when these events are supposed to start to take hold. And uh, we get to see everyone in their kind of shining moments. Barry's got his job at the crime lab. Uh, Bruce is looking at making Wayne Manor basically into the Hall of Justice. Everything's pretty much ending in line with the original end. But then we do get the future scene, which is fantastic. Oh, we even get the the end credit scene. It's a little bit different, but we get the Lex and, and Deathstroke scene. And I'll tell you what, best Deathstroke armor ever. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, I like I like what's on Arrow, but obviously it fits a TV budget. This is fantastic Deathstroke armor. Um, and like we get the idea that Slade and Batman have a history. So it, it's it's really kind of cool to see where that would go, especially then when we jump and we see the future uh, and we're seeing what is kind of leading up to the original dream sequence from Batman V Superman. Uh, and, but yet we got Batman, we got Vic, we got um, flash, we got Mira and we got Deathstroke. Like after we get that little scene with Deathstroke and he's like, oh, I got, you know, bone bones to pick with him. Now they're partnered together. I didn't quite like the Mohawk, but oh well. Um, And then we get Vindication for Jared Leto's Joker. Now, I I have to ask you, did you think he was hallucinating Joker for a bit? Like, it was a... He had already killed him, and yet, like, his psyche was still kind of creating 
a version of Joker. I wasn't getting that okay. at all. Uh, I did, but my God, was that far better? And and again, like there was interference in air when he was doing Suicide Squad. Uh, so I'm not going to put all the blame on Leto in that. And I'm not going to put all the blame on David Ayer. I'm putting all the blame on Warner Brothers. Because uh, they, after uh, Man of Steel, they really tried to ham-fist these directors. Um, and that and it shows. So, because his Joker's fantastic, and he's only in there for like three minutes. <laughs> I mean, his when, entire dialogue. Yeah, when if you were to give him more, like, he would be able to do just fine. Yeah. And, you know, we get the references to the killing of Robin and the adoptive son. Like, because, we I mean, we got to see the armor in you know, Batman also, v Superman. You also get the reference to him, the Batman killing Harley Quinn. I don't or, see. So I didn't get that he killed Harley Quinn, but that he made the promise to Harley Quinn that he would make Joker's death slow. OK, yeah, it's probably um, sense. But regardless, I'm going to watch this like a million times, so <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'll get that more uh, cemented in my head once I rewatch it. Yeah, because I mean, in other universes, they work together. Right. So it could have been just one of those things. And um, so in this and this is also, again, it's introducing the concepts of alternate timelines because the Joker is saying how many Sorry. how many different timelines do you think end up here because you refuse to die? So they're setting up internally the logic that there could be alternate timelines that there could, that they even use the term multiverse in, in there, that even the fact that dark side and them are from another universe. And one thing that I was real, I'm really curious about is, is Bruce in touch with the multiverse and that's why he's getting these premonitions? Like what, what's causing this? So my, my inclination is a little bit like, you know how doc Manhattan doesn't live time linearly. Okay. Um, because he like, he's experiencing every moment of his history at the same time. I'm thinking it has to do with something about Barry sending that message back saying Lois is the key. And that that's the other thing too, is that the lowest Lois is the key line was not meant to be like, this is the key to restoring Superman's humanity. No, Lois's death is the key that unlocks the dark side of Superman and that she needs to be protected at all costs. Otherwise there's no coming back from it. Um, uh, so I'm thinking that because of that um, tampering by Barry to try to prevent this, that that's somehow linking that shared experience uh, to, to Bruce in the present. Um, because it does, like, if the movie ended just here, this is where I would say, okay, maybe they can't do a, necessarily do a direct sequel. But he does wake up in bed. And... We get Martian Manhunter again <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about joining their their team. And this, I believe, is a completely new sequence shot. Like they just shot it not that long ago um, to give more scenes for for Jean. 
but I also still like that it ties back to Man of Steel's. Uh, Harry Lennox, who played uh, Swanwick, has been there through pretty much all the movies and, you know, in there as kind of this guiding figure that's not necessarily trying to take an antagonistic approach to the heroes. And like even in Batman v Superman's like, hey, if you send this nuke up, you're going to sacrifice Superman, too. And and so I like that he's kind of this guiding post uh, and trying to make sure that people are in the right moments where they need to be to protect this world. But with the threats of Darkseid coming, because uh, Darkseid said, all right, we're taking the Armada. We're going to Earth the old way, not even going through boom tubes, mm-hmm. which, again, sets up that kind of timeline. Like we have plenty of time for them to take whatever they need to take to get to Earth uh, to do a Justice League, too. Um, but I thought it was a fantastic way to cap off the whole movie and it ends it on an optimistic tone. I, I love that they, they allowed him to use Martian Manhunter. Yeah. I still wish that they would have been able to let him use Green Lantern. I know Warner Brothers has their plans already kind of in motion for Green Lantern wanting to use, um, Jon Stewart. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I so I think that the, the smart way to approach that, depending on how they want to do their HBO Max show, is um, and apologies if you hear the the doggo napping in the background. Um, the the thing with that is like if they approach it with the Disney Plus shows, but the Marvel stuff, do it where it is connected. Because I mean, they're doing a a Gotham PD show um, that's going to be set in the world of Matt Reeves' Batman movie. So it's not out of line for them. And I don't even know necessarily if Zack's original intent was to bring Green Lantern into this one, but to maybe have him in the second one um, as because that's one person we don't see in this future. So if that's someone we don't see in this future, actually, we saw Kilowog, mm-hmm. uh, which I was like, oh, my God, it's Kilowog. <laughs> uh but maybe maybe we can get that as something that is going to help prevent that timeline from happening. That this was a gun that they didn't count on because it, part of the reason why they never came back to Earth was there was a Green Lantern. Okay, the Green Lantern's gone. And then there was a Kryptonian. And now there's no Kryptonians and there's no Green Lantern. So that's maybe their secret weapon if they do a sequel. Which I'm going to say it now. Warner Brothers... You're probably not listening to this small podcast, but you should bring Zach back. Let him finish the story and then do whatever the hell you want. I mean, at the very least, you get a nice cash grab. (laughs) Exactly. Because because people obviously with the reactions to this uh, all being very positive and a lot of people saying this is justice for Justice League. A lot of people are in they're in you you announce it tomorrow they're in they don't care if they will have to wait two to three years they're in mm-hmm. uh i mean this version of the movie in my opinion is the canonical version of justice league whedon's is is gone i'll uh, make it a multiverse story you know because we're already talking about different timelines that's just one that went that way uh, I don't think any of the movies they've done since will be 
negatively impacted or people won't be able to adjust to certain retcons because I think, again, it ends very similar to the theatrical version, the Whedon version. Um, what what thoughts do you have? Honestly, I, I think that Warner Brothers would just be retarded not to to do it like they they there's no real negatives right to do it right i mean as as long as you're able to get the cast and say you weren't able to get the exact same cast again mm -hmm. i think it would still work with maybe one or two recasts Mm -hmm. if needed i think their easiest recast is going to be vic because you can always pass that off as something with the mother box, you know, or the the change machine and it altering his, you know, genetic makeup or something like that. Um, but I mean, I know Cavill would be down to do it in a heartbeat. Honestly, his Superman has not been given enough justice. They they should have made a Man of Steel 2 by now or another Superman movie. But at this point, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I'm I, sure I wouldn't want it directed by anyone but Snyder. Right. Like, and I know they have plans to with J.J. Abrams to do another Superman movie that's not going to be Cavill. But it's like. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that, especially when they have announced a Supergirl. Um, and it's not. I mean, I don't know too many details about the the J.J. Abrams Superman movie, but from what I understand, it the casting of this Supergirl doesn't quite fit in line. Now, granted, she is going to be in Flashpoint, so who knows? But I I, I still think they can use Flashpoint as a tool to fix some things that they need to fix, fine-tune some things. If they need to do some recasting choices, they can do them through the guise of flashpoint um but it at the least at the least that they can do if they don't want to actually do a big budgeted live action film just do an animated version um get zach to write it have him kind of co-direct it with an animation director Get everyone in as voice cast because it's going to be far less time consuming to do voiceover work like that um, and, and finish the story that way. I think the biggest problem you would run into is him not being able to get the scenes to line up the same way. Yeah, just in his directing style, I don't know how well that would transfer over to animated. Right. Since we're already kind of used to a lot of the DC animated stuff. Like each one kind of is similar to the other. Right. And then to come in and try to get those guys to adjust to that might just not work. That, out. That's why it's, it's my, it's my least favorite idea. Um, but it is the very minimum that they could, that they could do mm. my, my maximum. And what I think that Warner brothers should do. And if they're so concerned about profits, Sign Zach now. Sign him now to do this. This just this one. He doesn't. You don't need to sign him to do six other movies or anything. But sign him to do this. Let him finish that story, and then just be done with it. Rewrite it all with Flashpoint, because Flashpoint's not going to come out till like twenty seven, twenty nine. 
you know, like it, it just keeps getting moved it back and moved back. Although, I mean, I, they are in, in, in initial production. So, I mean, uh, I do believe they'll probably fit the 2022 or 2023 film slate, hopefully. Um, but I, I, I sincerely mean it. They can do it and whatever they need to rewrite, they can rewrite with flash. Um, but I think it would be very stupid of them to not take advantage of this hype train of the goodwill of the fans right now, because they can easily lose it tomorrow. And this is why I said back at the beginning with the whole Snyder cut is real thing. Even before it was actually officially acknowledged by Warner brothers. Uh, Zach has been, you know, acknowledging its existence since basically the release of the Whedon version. Um, it, especially with the launch of HBO Max, Warner Brothers would have been stupid to not release it because at their most, they could have said, see, we were given back to you fans. You guys asked for it. We had it. Here you go. At worst, they could have said, see, we told you so. We knew better, and that's why we didn't want to release this version of the movie. And no one could have faulted them for either or of those uh, scenarios. But you can better believe they are probably profiting very well off this. And if they do release it on physical, because I know they they have to figure out their overseas distribution because HBO Max is not like available in Canada or over in, in Europe. So how they're releasing it over there, I don't quite know. I think they have something worked out. But VPN, well, yeah, you can always use a VPN, um, but the uh, the thing being, they still need to release this on physical. I will buy 10 copies of the movie if it means that money goes towards them doing. I don't think that's how that works. I don't, well, <laughs> they're, they're still making profit off of it. But I mean, again, if it's if they release it on physical, you will have people who will go out and buy it. You release it on digital for sale um, after the initial what three months maybe of streaming on HBO Max, people will buy that digital copy. This is still going to be a cash cow, I think, for them. Now, since it's streaming, I don't know how the box office numbers work necessarily, but. Again, since Zach paid most of the rest of this out of his pocket for finishing up visual effects and, and stuff like that, they're not necessarily losing money on this, but they're making money off of oh, it. Yeah. So it's a net positive for them. So this is that glimmer of hope that I have for the DC movie universe because it showed... You know, as much Leslie and I have talked about this, that DC needed a, a Kevin Feige. Zach is that Kevin Feige. He just happens to be the director, too. I mean, this all started with Man of Steel, and he had this kind of story planned out the way he wanted it to go. It was studio interference, lack of support in the studio, not having that Kevin Feige producer person to be like, no, let him do it. This fits with the vision because even as some criticisms I might have with Feige and past uh, people that they had uh, set to direct certain movies, like you had Patty Jenkins was supposed to do Thor too, but he, they didn't like what she was going to do, which considering how wonder woman 84 played out might've been the smart thing to do. 
Uh, and that's not supposed to be necessarily a knock on Patty, because I do think she's a good director. I love the first Wonder Woman movie. But the fact that she got so run on writing that story and no real other input from any other source, I think they didn't weren't able to shore up the weak points of that film. Um, and then Edgar Wright was going to be doing Ant-Man because he did that kind of test um, footage and everyone loved it. And then they're like, OK, we can do Ant-Man as a movie. But then there were creative differences and, you know, Edgar left and then we got Peyton Reed to do it. Uh, I think that's his name. And uh, it still turned out really well and has gone on to be pretty successful. So every choice, even if I may not have agreed with him, you know, dismissing certain directors, for the most part, it panned out fairly well for the Marvel movies, uh, minus Captain Marvel. Um, so I think like if, if Zach had somebody like that, that he could bounce those ideas off of or go, Hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. And this is how it will in fact affect other movies. That person could have been like, no, that's not going to work or, okay, let's rework this. Let's streamline it a little bit more. Um, let's try to make it a little more accessible and see where we can go from there. But Zach didn't have that. It was an up uphill battle, I mean, for him and, and the prior uh, head of, of Warner Brothers, because I didn't like that guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. He was and he was Asian. But um, I think Walter, this is why, again, why I don't like Ray going after Walter Hamada, because I think Walter Hamada is part of the reason we got this. I think Walter Hamada is a fan of the comics, is a f- wants to do right by the fans of the movies. And we saw that with Aquaman. We saw it with Shazam. uh, And maybe let off his foot off the pedal a little bit too much for Wonder Woman 84. But overall, after the Whedon cut of the movie, a lot of the DC movies were getting positive reviews. Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, not so much. I mean, it got positive reviews, but by fans, not really well received. And again, it was inexperienced filmmakers uh, trying to do whatever they wanted to do and, and getting away with it. And whereas like, Le- again, Leslie and I, when we, we did the finale review of, of WandaVision, we were talking about the, the idea of maybe using those uh, Disney plus shows as testing grounds for these untested directors uh, that haven't made movies yet, that haven't directed action sequence yet, put them in, in, in there and have them direct a couple episodes so then they can get experience, they can understand the the technical aspects to those scenes, and then maybe give them a movie if they feel like they can take it to a two-hour, you know, runtime or something like that. Um, and so I think that that's what Warner Brothers needs to start doing maybe with some other directors who haven't been established, uh, maybe with some of their plot lines that they want to work out and stuff like that. Um, you know, give them, give them some of those tests to you know go past and if they want to write their movie then okay let them do some treatments but have other people diverse group of people read through and go yeah this this part here that doesn't make sense can we work that and maybe do this instead and and see how that plays out and then work together as a collaborative effort i mean there were plenty of people that worked on that wrote this movie uh and Chris Terrio being kind of the main person doing the screenplay, but consulted with Zach uh, and I think two other writers that were on this. 
And this version of the film, again, took care of plot issues, took care of, of characterization issues, organically took its time to develop its story, and its pacing was perfect. Um, so that's my soapbox. Final words from you? Um, I just want to go back a little bit mm -hmm. to some things that we didn't touch on. Um, the fight scene at the beginning for Wonder Woman yes. we didn't touch on. Oh, I, so much I, better. I think that it showed like how brutal she actually could be, yeah. which kind of helped line up how it was towards the end. Because mm -hmm. like, there's no way that when she kicked that dude up against the wall that she wasn't killing yes. these people. And and that's one thing we really have. Um, I interrupt you a little bit. We didn't talk about the R rating. Mm -hmm. I actually think it worked. It's not it's so hard of an R rating that like you can't have younger kids watch it. I mean, there's two or three F bombs, but really not that much. And the blood that's there. It's not over the top. It's not over the top. It's not Quentin Tarantino kill bill. You know, it's not a, head getting cut off and blood just gushing upwards or anything like that. Uh, so I, I think that it's our rating was just maybe allowed them to get to, to have a little bit more flexibility with what they wanted to do. It's not so much an R rating because they wanted to be R. Yeah. It, it was more just to fit a handful of scenes. Yes. I think there was one where it was one where like Steppenwolf, like hit someone up against the Atlantean soldier, he kicks yeah. him uh, like clear across the uh, and his a head beach, starts and he and the back of the boulder is just covered in blood. Like there was that, like I said, when when Wonder Woman was yeah killing the dudes in the bank, a lot of parademon stuff. Um, like, yep. So and then I guess to top it all off was the Steppenwolf getting his yeah decapitated. So. Well, and even um, when Darkseid in the Age of Heroes fight mm -hmm. uh, gets the axe to his uh, clavicle. Yep, that was probably the only like it wasn't over that was, the top. It no, was, it was. I mean, it was probably excessively bloody, but it still wasn't over. Mm -hmm. You know, the top. Not to where I was like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. Because a wound like that would probably bleed that much. Of course, um, and then. Another thing that we didn't touch on was the setup of Adam. Yes, yes. Ryan Choi was, oh, it was great to see him in there. I mean, he doesn't play a huge part in the story other than like how Silas plans. And that's just something we also didn't talk about. Um, Silas plans to kind of mark the box for them to track it. Um, but he, he, it was great. And it obviously sets him up, especially when he brings up nanotechnology uh, near the end, but it sets him up for a future role as Adam. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it may not be Ray Palmer, but Ryan Choi is still a well-liked character in the comic books by people. Uh, so I really did like that establishment, but uh, that was another big change was Silas sacrificing himself. Um, it again led to more gravity because a, a big thing of the movie is Vic's struggle with his relationship with his father. And then his father taking that moment of self-sacrifice was something that really opened up his eyes. And in fact, at the end of the movie, he, one thing I didn't quite like, but he reconstructed the, um, the uh, tape recorder and listened to the final part that his dad was trying to leave him as a message. So, yeah. Uh, any other 
I know there's probably a there's handful tons. of things that we... I mean, we both only watched this yesterday, and we've only watched it one time. So we've covered a, a lot of the main stuff and the main differences. I mean, again, for the people that were saying, oh, it's going to be the same movie, but only worse. It's like, no, it's not. And I think even some of those people may have been won over by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the, the only other thing that we kind of talked all fair about was that Zach does a fantastic job of including diversity without making the diversity feel forced. Yes. And I think that was just another thing that made the movie work a whole lot better. Well, and you know, like a, a, a lot of, and I mean, I, I've been known to do this too. Like a lot of people don't like when you, when you like race swap characters or anything like that. Uh, and much like with the flash TV show, like I, I don't really care that Iris is black. Like, you know, it, it, it actually, I think it, it's fine. And it doesn't, again, like you said, it doesn't feel forced. N- you know, you get these great diverse scenes. you got diverse cast of, of Amazons. Uh, you know, the one um, uh, black Am- Amazonian, she was on Krypton for two seasons. And so like immediately I was able to pick her out and be like, oh yeah, that's her. Uh, and I really liked her on Krypton and it was great to, you know, see her again in this. And much like with that, that, uh, the final episode of the Mandalorian season two, when you had the four woman fire team, like there, there were no moments that felt forced. And like, even the moment where, uh, Diana is helping them out at like the, the museum heist or whatever. Um, the girl goes, you know, can I be like you? And she, and she says, you can grow up to be anything you want done in a different context and poorly written. I would hate that line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Same here. I had no issue with it. It was just like, cause she just saw this amazing feat happen in front of her eyes. If I were in her shoes or if I was, uh, you know, in, in a boy's shoes and I saw Superman going and like doing the exact same thing, I would ask literally the same question. It didn't feel like it was a gendered question or anything like that. It was just like, I want to be a hero like you. And, and that's the whole point. The inspiration. What people said that like Batman v Superman lacked or Man of Steel lacked was the inspiration, the hope, the hero story. And what people fail to really look at this uh, is that it's a hero's journey. It's a three act play so far. It would be a four act play if we get Justice League 2. People complain about Man of Steel because it's not Superman. Well, the whole point of it is he's not Superman yet. Uh, you know, his his killing of Zod, which a lot of people didn't like. The fact that there were mass civilian uh, casualties in it. He's not a hero yet. And his killing of Zod was what was so uh, painful for him. That's why he unleashes that screen. And then... Much again, going off the the advice of of Jor-El in in Man of Steel is like they'll stumble, they'll fall, but eventually they will follow you into the into the future, essentially, and that's why he does his self sacrifice in Batman v Superman because even though the world is out against him in that movie, they don't like that he's this all powerful being. They don't like that he takes unilateral action, but his sacrifice is what makes him a hero to everyone. It's why Bruce wants to bring him back. It's why everyone wants to see him be the symbol of hope again. Now, again, he's not exactly 100% back, 
but he's on that step closer closer to be Superman again. And so it, it's it's this masterpiece storytelling that uh, people just don't have the patience for. They'd rather get the cook, like you said, cookie cutter thing from Marvel, which and I don't I don't dislike what Marvel does. That's why I want to have two different styles of these comic book movies. If if DC emulated exactly what Marvel did, why would I bother? Or if DC couldn't make their movies at all, well, then I'm going to get stagnant on the Marvel stuff. I want this differentiation. I like that the DC movies take the thing seriously. So that, that that's 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 me. Um, I don't know what other thoughts you have on that. I'm all good. I, <laughs> I know we've been talking a long time. I'll talk in a circle for two more hours <laughs> if we keep going. Hell, this podcast might be just about half as long as the Snyder Cut. So if you've sat with us for two hours, why don't you just sit another two hours through the Snyder Cut? Um, and, and again, like I don't think that if you break it up, I, I don't know how that will impact uh, a viewing experience. Uh, I liked consuming it as one whole piece, but like, I know I want to show my father the movie and I know he won't have the patience to sit through four hours. So I do like that. There's those part breakups. Maybe you can make it through part three and which would put you about two hour range and be like, okay, I can take a break and we'll come back tomorrow. Watch the last three parts of the epilogue. Um, so if you've been listening this far and you've been listening to everything we've talked about, and as much as, again, we've been, you know, basically jerking this movie off, it's probably going to be no surprise. I'm, I'm going to land on a five. Like I, there are some things I could knock a half a point off of for, but it didn't, in my opinion, this movie did what I needed it to do. This version of the movie did what I needed it to do. It gave justice to Zach it gave justice to the characters. It gave justice to the story he started in Man of Steel. And I'm sorry, I, I can't really fault it for some wonky CGI at some points, some weird dialogue here and there. Uh, you know, there was some stuff that I didn't quite care for. But overall, that stuff was small compared to how much I, I mean, I had a hard time going to bed last night. I was so amped up from the movie. I mean, I even sent that. I was like, I'm so fucking amped right now. <laughs> it's just like it had me so built up and it, it didn't feel like I sat through a four hour movie. And I, I think that uh, for me personally, Watchmen has been like the gold standard right. essentially of of cape movies for me. Um, and to see this one I, I I have to rewatch it again, but I honestly think that this may become at least par with yeah. that because it was so well done. Yeah. So it's it's kinda like uh how a little bit like the boys is one of the better superhero TV shows right now because it's it's taken it in a different light in a different way. And that's what Watchmen does mm -hmm. uh, is it is it's a little bit darker on the superhero story. And that's what suits Zack's style. He doesn't tell these happy go lucky stories. I mean, he was it rise of the guardians or something, which is a, uh, an animated film uh, is probably his one few like light hearted movies, but Dawn of the dead remake. It's very dark. Um, 
Sucker Punch, very dark. But uh, Watchmen, dark. Man of Steel, dark with tents of hope. Batman v Superman, dark with even more tents of hope. Justice League, getting out of that darkness, but still telling a serious story without using this hokey cookie cutter comedy. And I think also from some of the stuff I've read, we didn't let some of his bad feelings about age of Ultron, uh, impact certain things he did on justice league. And so I think he was his own worst enemy when it came to reshooting things and retelling, uh, the story. But, um, that's just, again, going back to some of the stuff that Ray has said that Joss did or, or what he didn't do. Um, so, I mean, take it as speculation right now. But uh, I think Joss was his own worst enemy in it. Uh, he let kind of his own himself get in the way of, of, of doing a good Justice League movie. Does that mean Joss is a bad director? No. Um, he might be a horrible person from stuff we've heard but i mean buffy is a very good television show angel's a good television show avengers is great i liked age of ultron so i mean i don't understand why some people didn't like it but ultimately you know directors are going to have ups and downs and i think that zach was uh zach was really sabotaged with justice league uh i think when his daughter committed suicide that was just the excuse Warner Brothers needed to be like, all right, you got to go and leave. Oh, by the way, we can't delay this movie. So we're going to bring in someone else and let them take over. They would have been a whole lot better off had they just given them time. And in all honesty, too, I think they wanted to rush it. Cash and grab. It, they, it was, they turned yeah. it into a cash grab versus. And uh, the, and yeah, because, well, they had it. They had a set uh, set release date. And they didn't want to push it back. And instead of going, hey, take th- three to six months or however long you need, grieve, then come back and finish. The actors will be here. And I think, honestly, especially with the death of a child, people are going to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in a, in a situation like that where it was suicide. Definitely. You know? So I... I, I Again, you and I both are on the same page. Warner Brothers would be stupid not to capitalize on this and not to be like, hey, Zach, come back. The the fry meme. Yeah, <laughs> shut up and take my money. I mean, that's where I think that's where people are at right now is they're just like, you give us more. Mm-hmm. Give us more of this. This is what we want. This is what because I've even heard and, you know, we, we might get shit for this, but people like this better than Endgame. Now, do I think it's superior to Endgame? No, because I I have them as two separate things. I don't think that they can be a direct comparison of each other. That's why I don't compare my DC comic books to my Marvel comic books. They are their own things. Um, I like DC's characters more, but Marvel tells some good stories. Not currently, but neither does DC. So, I mean, their comics are faltering right now as as an industry. But... uh, Warner Brothers, don't be stupid. That's all I gotta say. So, uh, but you didn't give your score. Uh, 
five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of figured. I kind of figured we'd both end up on fives on this because uh, it, it, it hit all of those right moments we wanted it to hit. Again, like the score elevates this film. It elevates scenes that were played that played out the same. But the differentiation in the score did not give the same atmosphere and gravitas that the score did for this one. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Um, if you st- stuck around this long to listen, um, we will have also another episode of the podcast uh, dropping probably the same time as this episode. Um probably be a little bit shorter too because we'll be discussing only the first episode of falcon and winter soldier um but if you are not following the podcast currently on any social media platforms we are on twitter at critics nt cynics uh you can follow us on facebook at critics not cynics podcast leave us a rate and review on on facebook or on any podcasting service that uh you listen to us on and we are currently on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Play, basically just about anywhere you can get your podcast except on SoundCloud. Uh, we got some stuff moving in on the future. Hopefully our, our uh, mic volume was a little bit higher this time. Uh, we're still adjusting with the new equipment and with the new soundboard. Uh, so, but we have big plans here in the future and, um, website that will be coming shortly and uh youtube stuff eventually once we once we get some other stuff worked out but i think as we enter in our second year here in april um because i believe it's been just about two years since we started the well since i initially started the podcast and then we got you in about halfway through that first year uh, and then Leslie joined us uh, later on in that that first year. Um, I think we got some good things in store. And uh, so definitely stay tuned to future episodes. Uh, that's pretty much it. So uh, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next time.